Nicholas Mervo at your service. Oh, God damn, you scared the shit out of me. Marvelous Mervo at your service. Marvelous Mervo, that's my name. And I'll do my best to entertain you with magic and laughter. Cause that's my game. I could light up the sky each day at sunrise and darken the clouds when it's time to rain. That's some of the magic I have mastered. I'll show you the rest when you call my name. I wanna make the whole world laugh, even if the laugh's on me. Oh, I paint a smile upon my face, there for everyone to see. So put a smile on your face like your old friend Mervo Whenever you're feeling alone and blue Like marvelous Mervo, you'll soon discover A smile can do magical things for you Ghostface, I want to be in the sequel. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. I am the eater of wolves and of children. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Hello everyone and welcome to a blood-spattered edition of the greatest October in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. This is episode number 160, Blood Harvest. That's right. There is some random blood splatter in this movie. Oh, yeah. My first time with this movie, certainly. I would imagine nobody listening to this has seen this movie. This is a little bit of a different kind of episode. Something I don't think we've ever really done before. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. A movie that is pretty terrible, and we know that going in. Sure. It's a little bit different. This is by far the lowest budget and probably the least popular least known least successful movie we've done okay. as far as like wow. making money so it's like the smallest movie we've ever done for yeah. sure so if that doesn't get you excited it's a little different we're going bargain basement right uh, i think anybody who's a fan of horror knows that there's a whole just thriving Genre, industry of yeah. straight to video straight to dvd straight to vod whatever the current iteration is but oh yeah skipping the theater there's a lot of grassroots independent 
pull yourself up by the bootstrap right. types in horror. Just get out there and shoot it. Yeah, man. I, it certainly, you know, I, I almost bring it up too often, like the old blockbuster days, but I, I can remember the whole section of, like, just these types of movies. Yeah. I have a lot of them on Blu-ray through yeah. companies like Vinegar Syndrome, Synapse, The copy that you let me borrow is a, a DVD, though, right? Yeah. Okay. Because that came with the Blu-ray and oh, the DVD. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So I watched the Blu-ray. Wow, you got to see the nice presentation yeah I'm sure it made a huge difference <laughs> it's funny like watching this there was like parts of it where you can see like sort of like the red on the side from like the film or something i don't know oh really yeah i could see it on the dvd copy maybe it was touched up well, i know them. at one point one of the victims is hanging upside down and you can see a blood pack yeah right attached to their back <laughs> but like just like the look of like, like it looks like this like faded film or whatever and it, it's funny because now there's like apps where you can like put that effect on like your pictures basically to yeah. make them look like vintage. So that was kind of jumping out at me. So we are discussing the 1987 version of Blood Harvest directed by Bill Rabane. Not that there's remakes or other versions of the same story, <laughs> but there's other titles Blood okay, Harvest gotcha. out there. It's not the most original name ever. Don't really know why it's called Blood Harvest other well, the than there's thing, like some farm right, that's material the, yes. that you don't ever actually see. Right. <laughs> Certainly not harvesting blood. Right. It's but not yeah. a vampire picture, but we'll get into it. I definitely had a lot of runs in my life. You kind of alluded to it with the blockbuster thing. I found even Hollywood video to be more oh, yeah. like this. They had had an infinite amount of these shitty, cheap, straight-to-video horror movies. And they hold a special place in my heart. And I think the movies of the 70s and the 80s, and maybe even into the early 90s, are a whole other thing because I think those filmmakers really had a special passion for making the movies and they would a lot of times shoot on film or whatever like that was yeah. very much real and about making the movie True. where over time I think it just became like well if we do it a certain way and we just slap a certain thing on the cover we can probably get people to rent it and right. we'll make a little bit of money and there really wasn't as much yeah. passion behind it. Well, it's weird. I mean, and I'm sure you're going to get into like the location of this movie where it was shot more about this director. But like even the idea of an independent filmmaker living in fucking Wisconsin and just being like, yeah, I make movies and I just make them here in Wisconsin. And it's just such a strange thing. You, you just don't think of even someone being able to. Even now, where it's like easier to make movies than it was back then with yeah. the technology now, you just don't think of someone like being like, yeah, I live in Western Pennsylvania, and I I, I make feature films. You yeah, think and, like that, either and that York, the LA. location is such a big element of the filmmaker's identity. Yeah, because Bill Rubain made a bunch of movies in the '70s up and up through the '80s, and they all took place, I think, in Wisconsin for the most part. His most famous movie came out in 1975, called The Giant Spider Invasion. Okay. Also took place in Wisconsin. So his most famous movie, I think, probably no one who listens to the show has no. seen it. No, we're talking ultra low budget. He crossed paths with like Herschel Gordon Lewis, who was like the the godfather of gore. Okay, and he worked out of Chicago in like the fifties and sixties. I have his like giant box set from Arrow that I've never even cracked open. Oh wow! But <laughs> you're running out of days left in your life for how many movies <laughs> you have left to watch. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't need reminded of yeah. that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I don't know much about Bill Rabane. I mean, he he's Latvian. He came to America. He's still alive. He's in his 80s. I told you before. That's the thing. Not even from Wisconsin, then. Ran for governor a couple of times. Yeah. Did not win, obviously. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, he came to America. He got involved with WGN in Chicago. Okay. That's where he crossed paths with Herschel Gordon Lewis. I think he sold some of his early unfinished work to Herschel Gordon Lewis to finish. And then he moved up to Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin, and just started making movies on his own. Blood Harvest, I think, was his last feature film. I do love Wisconsin. I've spent some time there. People just drink beer and eat cheese, two things that I am well accustomed to. Sure. Yeah, so this is definitely the most obscure and, as I said, likely the lowest budget of any of the films we've ever done, supplanting Black Mama, White Mama. Yeah, it's definitely like a more grindhouse, drive-in type movie. This is like almost as low as you can go. Right. I've seen worse. I think based off of when we were getting listener requests to do specific episodes and when we tried that horrible experiment. Oh, yeah. It became clear that some of our listeners definitely thought that this podcast was something that we didn't really think it was. Or we just like trash movies. Right. And they're like, hey, we know some terrible movies that you could make fun of. And it's like, well, no. Part of it was we actually like these movies. We're just making fun of them. It's hard to tell sometimes, (laughs) but yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything we do was stuff that we like. I mean, we weren't intentionally picking bad movies. And I never wanted this podcast to be that. I mean, we, you know, we've never done an episode on The Room even though we probably could have at yeah. some point. Now that the disaster artist exists, that seems, seems less right. appealing. But you know what I mean? Like, we know terrible movies, but sure. we just that wasn't really what we were interested in. Having said that, I do kind of like Blood Harvest, and I've probably watched it like five times in 2019. Yeah, I mean, listen, <laughs> there's certainly a lot of bad, but there's a lot to like here, too. There's a lot of substance to, like, there's a, the I, atmosphere. There's a certain charm to movies like this where everybody's taking it as seriously as they can everyone's doing the best job they can it's just that there's probably a lack of talent overall in the writing the acting the directing everything right but but that doesn't mean that they're not trying and that's part of the appeal to the room too although this movie is not nearly as ridiculous as the room sure the acting is much better in this yeah, and the story is ludicrous, but it actually kind of makes sense. Right. Whereas trying, the room, I'm, I, I'm never really clear what we're supposed to take out of that. Oh, that's true, yeah. This is trying to cash in on the big slasher craze of the 80s. This was probably more towards the tail end. But slasher movies are a lot cheaper to make and easy to make. And you just come up with a little bit of a premise and then off yeah. you go. The funniest thing about Blood Harvest to me is, I'm going to read you some credits. Written by Frank Kinnikin. Screenplay by Ben Benson and Emil Joseph. Yes. Story by Chris Villar and William Arthur. That's five I different know. names. This jumped out at me too, like how many people were like. <laughs> this movie the you would think was the most complicated thing in the I world. I mean, I feel like I could write this in when ten minutes. Touch up. Well, I'll tell you, when I saw the opening credits come up, I mean like Ben Benson. There was like a lot of names that were jumping out to me. I was like, these seem like fake names. Probably. Well, a lot of the people that Bill Rubain worked with, were, I think, were also Latvian. And so okay. they probably were using fake English-sounding names. Yeah. <laughs> that's like when we stayed for the credits of Crawl this past uh, summer. Right, yeah. And we're like, wow, those are a lot of uh, Eastern European-sounding names. <laughs> yep, true, yeah. Speaking of Crawl, I, I don't know if you've been seeing this. There's been like five alligators found around here since like June of this year. Oh, no, I haven't. Yeah, it's crazy. There was just like another one found in like Lawrenceville. Oh, that's cool. The other day, I'm like, what is this, turning into Crawl? <laughs> Somehow I don't think they were as big as no. the ones in <laughs> Crawl. Yeah, no, I think they are actually like baby alligators, which is 
bizarre, but so yeah, we're up in northern Wisconsin for blood harvest. Now, this is unintentional, but we're recording things a little bit in advance. Spoiler sure. alert for yeah. everyone out there, a little peek behind the curtain. Neither of us have actually seen the movie Joker yet, although it is out as of our recording this. Yeah. By the time we release this episode, it'll have been out for a few weeks. And probably. we will have seen it. Yes. But it's interesting when you look at what this movie is about and, and who the main villain ends up being and just the whole thing. I think Blood Harvest is oddly timely and oddly prescient for 2019 about kind of the incels and the whiny, angry losers yes. and being mad at women for re- rejecting them. And okay. Just seems like this is kind of an of the moment idea. <laughs> yeah, I think so. There's certainly some parts that I think would get some people riled up these days. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know. Sometimes even just like the reactions to things that happen right. are, are not severe enough. Well, you know, we talked about this on the Candyman episode. Even with this, I guess there is something that really just like makes me happy when a movie is shot somewhere and it just like looks and feels like a real place. I just feel like you don't get that experience with movies now. Just the look of everything. Everything always feels very samey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like now it's just random rural Wisconsin, but it just looks like a a place. Like it reminds me of where I grew up in upstate New York. Yeah. Hills, farmland, this small little town with like small little businesses. Yeah. And it definitely brings about a little bit of nostalgia for another time. This is a small northern Wisconsin town in 1985 or 86. And it just looks way different from anything we would see now. But the film allows you to disappear in the setting and the surroundings. Yeah. Like you can kind of get a sense of it, even though a big chunk of this movie, of a, a huge percentage of it is all filmed in one location at a house but you still get a sense of place that you lack in a lot of modern movies yeah i really enjoy the beginning of the movie where you're bouncing around a little bit more through town and she's like making her odyssey out to the house but once you get to the house it almost starts to feel like a straw dogs type environment (laughs) so the movie stars a young lady named etonia salchek as jill and what can we tell our listening audience what they would know her from nothing (laughs) <laughs> this is her one and only acting credit. Yeah. Hope she's doing okay. Didn't take off for her after this Not one. a lot is known about her or where she went or what she right. did or, or whatever. Hope she's doing well. Hope she didn't have like a really bad experience and, and that's why she was never in another movie. I don't know. Yeah. It did take off for some people that were in this movie though. No, just one guy. Yeah. She is not a great actress by any stretch of the imagination. She does struggle at times to hide her Eastern European accent. Sure, it's noticeable. But, I mean, in all fairness to her, she's basically in every scene after a certain point and is expected to carry the movie, which is not that well written. There's tons of terrible dialogue. And I think she tries her hardest to sell that terrible dialogue. And overall, I'd have to say... She does a pretty commendable effort. So you think this was like a big ask for someone who's never done any on-screen acting before? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple of scenes where she's just flat out terrible, but okay, I don't know yeah. what you would expect. I You'll mean, have that. She's never done any other acting. and I do think she's better than Gary. English is not her first language. Well, Dean West plays Gary. Yeah. Gary was only ever in two things, this and one other Bill Rabane project. Okay. Lori Minetti as Sarah, the friend. Yeah, I, think, I like Sarah. I think she was only in like a couple of things. I mean, Sarah's playing a more formulaic character, but I enjoy her performance as it. 
Yeah, some of the dialogue between Jill and Sarah is particularly bad. Yeah, they're really into muscles. <laughs> the one actor who appears in Blood Harvest who would go on to have a career would be Peter Krause as yeah. the boyfriend. I think his name is Scott. Right. He would go to star in Six Feet Under, yeah, Sports Night. Yeah, I knew Night. him from Sports Night. Casey McCall. Um, he was in an episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It was funny because I, I didn't recognize him at all, but when the end credits rolled and he was like the sixth or seventh build person, the name jumped out to me immediately. Yeah, he's currently on the show 911, which is still okay on the air on Fox, and he had a pretty solid career. This was yeah. his first acting credit. Not really sure if he's from Wisconsin or how he got involved with this, but who knows. Right. The way that this movie was marketed then and now, even with the new Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray and the posters and promo materials, is all centered around a guy named Tiny Tim, who yes. plays the marvelous Mervo. <laughs> Strange-looking dude. So you had almost no prior knowledge or right. experience with yeah. Tiny Tim. You were like explaining it to me. I think I read about him a little bit. I was kind of picturing a Gallagher-type character. Who's Gallagher? Gallagher's like that comedian or whatever that used to like smash things. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, like, okay. Had like some brief popularity, but is kind of like known as just being like right. the worst comedian ever. Yeah, the watermelon guy. Yeah, I could see that. Tiny Tim is more of a, a musical act. I prepared well, a little... singing through a lot of this movie. Sure. I prepared a little bit of a backstory to kind of fill people in. Okay, I, good. Tiny Tim was a singer, ukulele player, and musical archivist most known for his only real hit, a cover of the song Tiptoe Through the Tulips, which he released in 1968, as well as his many, many appearances on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Yeah, I mean, to me, that seems like a famous person then. The best way to explain Tiny Tim to people who today are unfamiliar with him would be to say that he was a novelty act with a particularly intense 15 minutes of fame. For example, his marriage to Miss Vicky on The Tonight Show on December 17th, 1969, drew a ridiculous 40 million viewers. Wow, that's an impressive figure. However, despite fame all but completely evaporating in the 70s, Tiny Tim continued to record, perform, and tour. He was making a personal appearance at a beer carnival in Lincoln County, Wisconsin. Yeah, how many people do you think were at that? Probably dozens. Right. In 1985, <laughs> when he was approached by local filmmaker Bill Robain to see if he was interested in appearing in a horror movie, Blood Harvest was the result. What, sorry, what's his name? Bill Robain? Yeah. He takes a look and he's just like, Tiny Tim, it doesn't feel like there's a lot going on. You there's like conflicting stories. Right I've heard that Tiny Tim's agent or manager at the time offered a deal for him to come in for this festival if he could get a screen test with Bill Rubain. Because I think okay. Tiny Tim had been interested in appearing in movies and just hadn't really happened for him. Gotcha. So I don't know. It, it kind of depends on whose idea it was and how this all played out. Either way, he was very gettable at this moment. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Tiny Tim had the thing where he would just he didn't care about his dwindling popularity or, or people caring. He just wanted to entertain and get in front of an audience and from all accounts, he would usually win over that audience by the end. Right. They would start out disinterested or, or almost there under protest, and by the end, he would get standing ovations a lot of the time. <laughs> wow. He just committed so hard to it okay. that people had no other choice but to kind of yeah. respect it. <laughs> and I think on like first look, people's like immediate 
reaction is to just be like, I have no interest in whatever this dude has to offer. Yeah, I think he grew more odd looking as time went on. Okay. I think 20 years earlier. Some of us can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. I think 20 years earlier before Blood Harvest, when he was making the appearances on The Night Show, okay. he was still like a not attractive guy, but sure. you know he wasn't yeah. quite grotesque as he would become. <laughs> right. Late in his life, Tiny Tim made appearances on The Howard Stern Show and experienced a mild comeback into the public consciousness. Okay. He appears briefly in private parts, which we did as an episode on this show. However, he would pass away in November of 1996 at the age of 64 before Private Parts was released. He adds something interesting to the film. Yeah. Ultimately, his character, spoiler alert, not that anyone cares, sure. doesn't really factor into the story all that much Wait, other than he to just into be the there. End. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, but he doesn't need to. Right. He's not, like, integral to the plot, really. Yeah. Well, they kind of just throw him in there. Well, I think he's a red herring. Right? Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah like, they definitely want you to think he's, he's the creepy. primary. You know, he's just an odd dude that seems very suspect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blood Harvest opens with what could only be described as a jumbled mess. <laughs> First thing you see is a close-up on Tiny Tim's face as he's singing. He has his yes. face painted like a clown, right. which... So he's kind of in clown attire through various parts yeah. of the movie. You would think that that's where the connection to Joker would be, like why I would bring up Joker at the beginning, and it's really not. No. <laughs> it's more the guy that plays Tiny Tim's brother, that character. Gary. Yeah. Then after we see him singing, there's some bodies being loaded into the back of an ambulance on a rainy night. It cuts to an estate auction. There's a lot of farm foreclosure material. Yeah. In this, which I guess plays into some of the what was going on with the economy in the eighties for farmers, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so the, like the big idea is like, yeah, banks are starting to foreclose on all these. Like, it seems like the agriculture business is starting to <laughs> suffer a little bit. Sure. Yeah. And then we see a man being strung up upside down and having his throat slit. Yes. <laughs> so it just kind of jumps right into the violence. Now, I think Blood Harvest was categorized as a video nasty in England, which means that it made like the band oh, list wow. when they were doing that whole thing. I don't think it's like that crazy. Yeah, I do think a lot of the movies that get the most criticism, the violence is so cartoonishly fake. I know, that's the th yeah. Because most of the time Hollywood and the big budgets weren't doing movies where multiple people were getting their throats just slit right in front of the camera. I mean, it just <laughs> wasn't Yeah. I mean, Sweeney yeah, there's pro there's probably some examples of that in this time period, but not a lot. So the majority of the, the quote-unquote video nasties, I mean, come on. <laughs> We're talking <laughs> yeah. like real fake shit. <laughs> I know. There was no point where I was like, oh my gosh, this is disgusting. Yeah. Jill, who will be our heroine, returns home to Gleason, Wisconsin from college. Now, there's millions of questions that spring up at yeah. every turn with this plot. This always works for me, though. The old homecoming story. Uh, well, yeah. Well, a, a we're going to person returning home. We're going to touch on this at various points, but it feels like a lot is left unexplained. Yeah. When like, was the last time she heard from her parents? Well, they play that phone conversation that yeah. you only hear her end of that I guess is supposed to be with her mom, but you don't hear what her mom's saying. Right. But that's just like over top of her walking after getting dropped off or something. Her parents 
I guess couldn't be bothered to go pick her up from yeah, anywhere. I, for some reason, I thought she was driving a car at some point in this. Is she not? No, she ends up getting a ride from Sarah okay, later. Gotcha. But no, she. I don't think she drives throughout the entire Okay, movie. so she gets dropped off here, and she goes. She gets dropped off in town, not at her house. Right. In that phone message that we hear, she says she's going to stop by the bank right. to get a ride home with her dad. Her interaction at the bank is interesting. Well, her father is a banker, and the town seems to blame him for foreclosing on their farms. That's right. kind of the backstory that's being set up here. Well, yeah, I mean, if these people aren't paying their bills, yeah, I know, but he's like yeah, the I bad know. guy. He's taking the, he's the face of their problems. Right. When Jill goes into the bank, her dad is MIA. Yeah, I love how willing to help the woman that works at the bank is. You know what I mean? She's just like, no, he's not here. And our heroine is just like, well, do you know where he is? And the woman's like, maybe nope. he's in a meeting? No. Yeah. I haven't seen him. <laughs> right. For those of you watching the movie who you're like, okay, this Atonia Salchek girl, she's not a great actress, whatever. She's at least trying to act. Yeah. This interaction with the woman at the bank, I mean, the woman is basically just reading right. lines. I mean, it's just horrendous. Yeah. It's that this scene reminded me a lot of the room. That's what I thought too, like the flower shop yeah. scene of the room. And then as soon as Jill like leaves, that woman like waits one second, then turns to the like, coworker. Do, do you think we'll be in business much longer? Yeah. <laughs> like you're a bank. What do you mean in business? I know. That's I, such a weird way to say and it. And with all these foreclosures, I, I would think business is booming. You got all these properties coming back underneath you. Yeah. I don't know. The whole town, I guess, is on the verge of sliding under. Yeah. So then she stops over at that restaurant bar place and meets up with her friend Sarah. Yeah. Sarah, one of the only people in town willing to talk to her. <laughs> yeah. The way people phrase things, too, in this script is really funny and weird because she's like, the Robinson name isn't exactly popular around oh, here. Right. It's just like, yeah. the, who would say that? It's, it's, <laughs> like, it's so weird. Well, uh, yeah, this gentleman sitting next to her. Spits at her, yeah. kind of. Yeah. But Sarah gives her a ride back home. I love the, the far shots of the farmhouse so and I. the barn on a hillside with a dense forest behind well, them. Well, yeah, and it certainly, you can tell it's fall. The leaves have all kind of changed colors. It looks cool. I Yeah, I... <laughs> What is she coming home for? Oh, I, know. This, I mean, what time of year is it? It doesn't really make any sense. Whatever. You uh, can see from the road that something has happened to the house. Yeah. Every other time that anybody drives over to the house throughout the rest of this movie, they drive all the way up to the house. I know. But this time she drops her off at the street so that she has to walk all the way up this driveway right. so that she'll slowly see that the house has been vandalized with graffiti Red spray paint says, like, bastard, scum, thief, get out. Yeah. <laughs> so that causes Jill to start jogging towards the house. And then when she opens the front door, this scarecrow dummy thing hanging from a noose just falls in front of her. With, like, an arrow sticking out of it, yeah. right? She screams. It's not a real person. Yep. And then Merv, a.k.a. Marvelous Mervo, yep. dresses as a clown, is just hanging out in the house. And at first, she doesn't even recognize him. Like, she doesn't know, like, oh, this is this guy that I knew. Yeah, this should be She goes, who are you? Yeah. (laughs) It's the undersell of the century from Jill. She just saw all this vandalism. Her parents are nowhere to be found. And then there's that dummy thing with the arrow through it. And there's a clown in her kitchen. And she just goes, who are you? The thoughts that would be running (laughs) through your head, it's like when you see the graffiti on the outside, you're like, wow, people could be, like, coming and damaging the house. They could be coming in the middle of the night. They could be coming when my parents are gone. But once you open the door and realize that people have been in the house. Yes. I, I mean, at that point, I think I would just run right back out of there. 
Yeah, it never really occurs to her that maybe she shouldn't be at the house. Yeah. <laughs> she eventually recognizes Merv as someone that she knows. And so she's okay, I guess, with him being there. And then Merv's Even brother. Even though I, it, it would still be bad for me. Yeah, Merv's brother Gary shows up. No one seems to have any answers about where her parents are. There's just some general conversation. Well, what are their answers for why they are there? Unclear. There's no yeah. explanation as to why Merv is there. He's just inside of her house. Right. Never addressed. We only really get the indication here at first that there's some sort of history between these characters, but we don't really know yet what that is. She just knows yeah. Merv and Gary, and then they both leave, and then as soon as they leave, well, not as soon, but shortly thereafter, she gets a prank call. Somebody calls and she answers and it just says fuck you bitch <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then as soon as she hangs up the phone there's a brick through the window right and i'm telling you this is enough evidence at this point that you should get far away from this house yeah especially since her parents aren't there yeah but she looks out the window and that's when we see some activity going on at that barn yes and it's unclear if she sees it she doesn't react to it so i'm, I'm guessing I, she's it, not so it seeing must be it. a no or else it's, she's just continuing to no sell everything yeah, I get, I'm taking it though she's not seeing I it. I can't imagine, but it's hard to get a read on her because yeah. how is she not reacting to everything that's happened so far more <laughs> Nothing's severely? Nothing's phasing her. Yeah. She doesn't care that there's a dirty, smelly clown hanging out in her kitchen. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think you can tell that it's Merv ducking into the barn. It's kind of hard to tell here. So then she runs out of the house after the brick incident. She clearly doesn't have access to a car because I guess her plan was to like, true, cut yeah. through these woods to get into town. There's this ridiculous paintball scene in the woods. Right. I don't really know why this scene is included other than to pad this movie out for it to be longer. Yeah. And to throw in quote unquote scares, even though this scene is not scary or suspenseful. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, maybe in 1987 when this movie was finally released, it seemed a little more scary and interesting just because paintball wasn't as common okay. back then, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It is crazy. I mean, although that's the thing, when we were talking about the blood stuff, the blood in this movie doesn't look any crazier to me really than her getting shot with this paintball. Right. So yeah, she ends up getting shot by some guys playing paintball. At first, you don't know what this is. You think maybe this is some sort of It's like the killer opening in the to Save by, the by the Bell Vegas Vacation. Yeah. This guy ends up driving her to town. The only reason I would bring it up is because I he asked her out on a date, yeah. and she says that she's engaged, and then he says, how about some meaningless sex? Yeah, it's always <laughs> worth a shot. I love it. Yeah, so they just throw that in there. So Jill goes to see Sheriff Buckley. How interested in helping her is he? Not at all. Yeah. He's dressed in a softball <laughs> uniform. I love the sponsor for his softball team is called Stumble In, like S-T-U-M-B-L-E. I-N-N. Like, okay, I'm yeah. going down to the stumble in. I gotcha. <laughs> I'm going to stumble into the stumble in. <laughs> He's very reluctant to help out. Again, the things that people are saying are so unnatural and don't really make a ton of sense. The first thing he says is like, whoa, 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 calm down. You have almost as bad of a temper as your father. They're like trying to like inject yeah, yeah. backstory into like every bit of dialogue and it feels so unnatural. Right. Like no one would ever talk like this. I know. So Joe manages to convince the sheriff to come out to the house. And uh, yeah, really, he does not have any interest in this. I mean, this is putting a huge damper in his beer league softball game. Yeah. And then we cut briefly, I guess, in the time that it takes for them to get back to the house. We see Mervo creeping around. There's some woman tied to a chair in some sort of a cave or something. He says Mrs. Robinson. Her name is Jill Robinson. Jeez, this Mrs. is clearly Robinson. her mother. Yeah. 
The movie goes above and beyond trying to portray Mervo as the obvious suspect. The scene stinks. It's so unnecessary. Yeah. These little cut-ins that just kind of try to muddy the water and cloud what you're thinking and influence you to be like, well, obviously, okay, this is Mervo then. Well, yeah, it doesn't help the end make any more sense. No. When Jill and the sheriff get back to the house, the house is cleaned and completely fixed, oh, including man. a brand new window. This is just installed. like that part, and I know what you did last summer. Yeah, it's where so they get dumb. the body out of the trunk. It just is <laughs> impossible. Seriously impossible that everything was fixed and cleaned and undone in that time period. So, of course, the sheriff doesn't really believe her that anything's wrong. Mervo now, again, alone in the church. He seems to be carrying a lot of guilt. He's saying things like, my parents, and oh, crying. Yeah. It's really terrible. I guess that Tiny Tim had a hard time remembering his lines, which is odd because he had literally almost like 10,000 songs memorized. I know. It was like this walking yeah. songbook. He could tell you like the, the numbers on the uh, insides of the records of oh, all these wow. different things and who was on what record and who wrote what songs and all this stuff, but he couldn't remember his stupid lines for this movie, and he had a lot of difficulty acting with other people. Oh, man. So... A lot of his appearances in this film are by himself. Which is noticeable. And also, even when he's in scenes with other people, he's standing off alone. If you pay attention to where he's looking and how he's acting, he's not really acting with them. He's acting on his own. So I didn't know Tiny Tim, but I did pick up on the fact that he's like the first build person. Yeah. Right? So it's like, there's something to me, and he obviously has a name Tiny Tim. So I'm like, okay, there's something about this guy. So I think I was like thinking, oh, this guy's just like too famous and they were only able to get him for like certain times or whatever. No. So that's why. <laughs> yeah, not at all. It just really wasn't pulling it off. Right. <laughs> yeah, the real answer was just so much worse. Before we go any further, because there's still like a lot to get through. Oh, boy. I guess I, I would say that the majority of this movie is just people coming and going. That's from true. From Jill's house. Yeah, and sometimes really just coming and going to the barn. Yeah. <laughs> We almost see too much of what's going on at the barn, I feel like, at times. Yeah. It's a little too revealing. Yeah, this movie makes some classic blunders. Like, it has a very small cast, and so at a certain point, there's literally zero mystery. Not that there ever really is. Oh, I mean, true, it's pretty yeah. obvious what's going on the whole time. Because they try to, like, protect the secret for a little while, but you're like, well, there's really only one logical answer here. Right. I, I mean, there's barely any characters in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Gary comes back to the house. He reveals that he's the one that cleaned everything up, and he always just seems to be lingering around. He gets Jill to go for a walk. They go <laughs> Jill out. not questioning this behavior at all. I would say that this also reminds me of that scene from Donnie Darko that we referenced in the American Beauty episode where Jenna Malone's character is all traumatized because of what's happened with her mom, yeah. and then Donnie's just trying to make out with her. It's like right. a lot of shit is going on for Jill, and Gary's just like, let's go for a walk. Yeah, it'll Come be like on. A date. Now, this walk serves as a way to fill us in on all of the rest of the backstory that we need for this movie to make sense. Yep, for these two characters. Yeah, it puts everything into context. So at first they go to this treehouse. There's an entire conversation going back and forth between the two of them that is an ADR, just like looped in. You can tell <laughs> yeah. that they're not saying anything. They're just like... Uh, we should go up this treehouse. Oh, no, after you. Well, you know, they just keep saying all this stuff as they're like going into the treehouse right. and climbing up. You're like, oh my god! It would just actually be better to have no talking. <laughs> yeah. Take a note from Terrence Malick. It's just like trust your visuals. 
we can see that they're climbing a treehouse. Right. We can assume that this is their treehouse. She says something like, I can't believe it's still here. <laughs> yes. How that, long that's... was she away? Was she never coming back? I know. They act or, like. Or it's like she lived at this house and like didn't come out this way very often. I don't know. It doesn't it's make strange. any sense. They act like she went to college for years and never came back on any break or anything and just was never back. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, we find out that she got engaged and is not even finishing college. True. So it's not even like a full four years. I don't know. Sometimes they act like she's been gone for like a decade. I know. <laughs> it's so strange. I know. And it's weird because it, it to me, it only feels like she would be in like her second year of school or something. Yeah. I don't know. Once inside the treehouse, this is where the past relationship is revealed between the two of them. It all becomes oh, clear. Yeah. They had a romantic relationship. It seems like they grew up together. Kind of the boy next door, the girl next door. You feel like uh, Gary kind of hasn't really been able to let this go. Sure. Yeah, it all becomes crystal clear. Yes. You're like, okay, well, obviously we know what this is all about now. They mentioned that Jill's dad caught them at some point. I guess the implication is being intimate. Okay, yep. But this is actually referenced as like a major moment in their lives because she brings it back up later. And says something like, if my dad hadn't caught me oh, that time, maybe yeah. it'd be me and you together. It's like, well, We're wait. really digging that knife in there. <laughs> it's like, are you saying that the only reason you're not together is it's because be, right. of that? This pivotal moment. <laughs> I guess maybe it, it was so traumatic. Yeah, this is why she went away to school and really like why she never comes home. She has an apartment in her college town. I don't know. You know, in the summer. <laughs> it, it's kind of like disobedience. That Something happened when they were younger and they've been suppressing this relationship ever since. <laughs> it's very traumatic for everybody involved. Now, this is really hilarious and funny to me. Seemingly, she's been back in town for hours. She's interacted with this person that she supposedly had this serious relationship with, and I guess, you know, maybe first love kind of a thing. She finally brings up that Gary's parents were murdered. (laughs) So wait a minute. How long has she been gone? And also, she didn't come to the funeral? I know. She's just like, I heard your parents were murdered. Well, that's what I'm saying. This whole incident... You know what? Maybe she is a fucking bitch. <laughs> I think so. This whole incident was so bad, though, that she just couldn't bring herself to come home. That's that's, that's pretty rough that... I mean, if somebody that you cared about... Because later on, she says, after Scott, you know, her new fiancé, yeah. and her parents, she says, Gary, you're the one I care about the most wow. after those other people. Even more so, so she, than Sarah. So she's saying she cares greatly for this person, and yeah, she couldn't not. be bothered to come home for if his I was Gary, I'd be like, you couldn't come funeral? to my parents' funeral? Really? Maybe that's part of the what's going on here. It's you know? clear that they came up with some concepts for some stories, and then they didn't really think the logistics through. So they had committed to this idea that she hadn't been back, but then they're throwing in that his parents were murdered. It's like, well, that doesn't make sense. She definitely would have come <laughs> yeah. home for that. Whatever. Still, she wasn't like, Gary, good to see you. I'm so sorry about your parents. No, it took a while for yeah, this to come right. up. Yeah, she didn't even cover like, oh, I'm sorry I didn't come to the funeral. Okay. She said nothing about it. She might it. be a little self-centered. As a result of Gary's parents' deaths, they proceeded to lose the farm. All of the farm animals were slaughtered for some reason. And Merv spiraled. Oh, yeah. As a result. And oh, has disappeared yeah. further into his clown character that he portrays. Marvelous Mervo. Which I'm assuming, I, I guess Tiny Tim provided his own clown costume. I'm sure that Marvelous Mervo was his own creation. He often created alter egos for himself his entire life. I'm, I'm sure he came up with all of that okay. stuff. He was given a lot of creative freedom around this character. Sure. I mean, do you think it really mattered? Right. <laughs> I think at one point, 
can't remember. I, I think I was seeing that originally that character was supposed to be African American or something. Like it was like a completely different concept for the character. Okay. And then once they got Tiny Tim, they're like, all right, let's make it like this weird clown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jill breaks the news to Gary about her fiance, and his reaction is to basically like just stand up and be like, I have to go. And just like, <laughs> right. you know, walk away. <laughs> it's so predictable. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> You've been there, though. Well, yeah, we, I get yeah. it. Back at the house, Jill makes some calls. She still can't find her parents. And as you pointed out, it seems like it would make sense not to stay there. Yeah. Seems like it's potentially pretty dangerous. It, yeah. Whatever is going that on. The people are like kind of freely coming in and out of the house. Yeah. And she's there by herself. She's a young girl. Just doesn't seem like a good idea. No. I guess it's been a long day. Time to take a shower. Yeah. An important part in any horror movie. Jill jumps in that shower. There's, I mean, this is so dumb. There's like a hot water prank that the killer in a pantyhose mask is now going to do. He, I guess he's in the basement of her house or something at this point. I don't get it. This seems completely so unnecessary. So she jumps out of the shower full frontal. Yeah. Oh, it, I guess that's why it was necessary. Etonia Salchek. Woo! Yeah, you were liking <laughs> what you got to look at? You weren't? No, I was. I will yeah, say she looks good. this is her only movie. She is dynamite and i'll say i mean she was definitely a trooper willing to, off the charts yeah kind of show it off yeah a it makes me wonder why movie. she i guess maybe she just really didn't like acting or maybe she had a bad experience it just seems like yeah she's not fucking meryl street but okay, she's a yeah. really attractive woman she's doing nudity i feel like she could have been in more blood harvest type movies could have taken some notes from this actress that's true you know on being willing to do scenes like this yeah. <laughs> There's like a pretty funny goof. So she jumps out of the shower because it's all hot water. Then she goes down to the kitchen and she's trying to turn on the kitchen sink. The sink doesn't come on. She's like messing with the handle. She leaves the handle off. Yeah. And then she turns her back to it. And then the killer, I guess, turns the water back on or something. And then the water just starts spraying out. And then you look at the sink and the sink is now turned on, clearly. Okay. Like, yeah, right. There's a lot of little goofs like that, yeah. like inconsistencies and What's whatnot. What's the uh, long game of the killer here? It feels I don't like know. he's letting this play out for a long time really unnecessarily. I mean, I think they try to salvage it at the end when the killer's making some big speech about what he's doing. But yep. yeah, I mean, it, none of this really makes any sense. It's just time-wasting nonsense. Mervo hanging around outside at night. He just lets himself in. She seems actually happy to see him, and Mervo is even taking... <laughs> aback by that oh he's like oh you're happy to see me <laughs> i feel like i kind of would be though too although i would be suspicious that he was going to kill me i'd be like i'm happy someone's here that i know yeah i guess people weren't that afraid of clowns yet and weren't that although it wouldn't that be the point of having like a clown character in a horror movie yeah i don't know like yeah or maybe just weren't as quick to be nervous around mentally unstable people but yeah i mean it doesn't really <laughs> make sense that would be something that People have been practicing for some time now, but yeah. Well, I'm just trying to yeah, figure out why she's not Reacting scared to of this. him at all. There's an awkward end to that scene where he seemingly is trying to like make a move on Jill. Yeah, he like touches her in a weird way. Yes. Yeah, that's I wasn't liking that. And she like shuts him down, and then he gets kind of like incel angry for a minute. Well, yeah, like, that's what I'm never allowed to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very bizarre yeah. scene. It really doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. 
And then she's trying to go to bed after this, and then someone's swinging in a swing outside. I mean, obviously it's Mervo. She calls the sheriff, who's pissed to be bothered again. Oh, yeah. At one point, he said something to her. He's like, we lost our goddamn softball tournament because of you. One of the funniest things is, at one point, he says something to her, and she just nods in response <laughs> over the phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she clearly is nodding to well, something. That, there was a language barrier. She didn't understand how telephones work. After she hangs up with the sheriff, Scott, the fiancé, calls. He's not overly concerned with her bullshit. She's no. telling him, like, some pretty scary fucked up shit, including, like, there's a guy outside right now. And he's just he's like, like yeah, yeah, that's don't great. worry about it. Right. It's nothing. <laughs> As I mentioned, of course, it's Mervo outside. The sheriff finds him, takes him away. You are like, does this dude ever go home? No, none of the characters go home. They're right. always just hanging around her house. Then she goes to bed, and this guy creeps in through her window, oh, but yeah. the guy is clearly standing outside. What floor is her bedroom on? I she clearly went upstairs. Second, yeah. I mean, she goes upstairs to her bedroom, and then this guy is just standing at the window and opening it and c coming in. Yeah, it doesn't it make like any a sense. Clarissa explains it all situation. There was just a ladder I don't like that it. needed to be placed. I don't like it. Yeah. He chloroforms her while she's asleep, and he like rips open her shirt to expose her breasts and oh, yeah. ties her arms, like her hands and her ankles to the four corners of the bed and then takes Polaroids of her topless. Kind of crazy. It's a scene without a purpose, really. I mean, she finds the pictures at the end of the movie, but it doesn't I know, really it, it factor does into anything. It does feel like we're just wasting time here. Most of this movie is a waste of right. time. Yeah. <laughs> this might be a one and done for us trying to talk about movies that are just this bad. Like, they just don't make any sense. Well, it's hard because you're just like, I'm going to put myself in the mind of this killer. And it's just like, I guess he's just fucking with her for a while. But there's seemingly, even in his plan, a pretty good chance that she never sees these photos. Yeah, I think that you can make your character do any number of things that you want, including fucked up things. Things that are even more depraved and weird than taking these kind of pictures and as bad as that is. If you can provide the reasoning and right. the motivation and then it makes sense in the context of whatever their thought process is but they're not really providing any clear thought process for anybody right they're just like here's this thing happening now i guess it's supposed to be unnerving that this is happening well it, it is i mean it feels violating yeah but it's ne nothing in the movie's ever really scary true so i don't know it's definitely exploitative and, and yeah it fits in with like the the grindhouse if feel to these type of movies where it's just like here's another excuse to pull her boobs out yes which Tonya Salchek spends a great deal of this movie in various stages of undress That's even true. when like no actual nudity is going on she'll be walking around in like a shirt and just underwear well or you something. know she's got the house to herself she looks good though I'll yeah say that. she wants to be comfortable Not nothing wrong with that it. Scott shows up unexpectedly in the morning the fiance really oh, yeah. Just a perfect example of how bad and awkward the script is. <laughs> Where was she calling him? We have no sense of how far he, away Well, he called her. From. Okay, yeah, but he called her, but, like, where was he at when he, he called said, her? He said, I think he said still at school. Yeah. Did he drive through the night? Maybe some of the stuff that she was saying was resonating with him? The well, yeah. The seriousness of the situation? Okay, so the example of how bad and awkward the script <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, go ahead. Scott enters the house on his own, I guess, and yep. wakes up Jill with a kiss. Jill wakes up with a jump start knocking him to the ground and says right. scott you fool you scared me half to death almost <laughs> i'm so pleased to see you yeah jumps on him scott says 
what would you do if you weren't? Spread tuna fish all over me and throw me out the window to oh, a starving wow. cat? Yeah. Just a an insane exchange of dialogue Seriously. There. It never crosses her mind that maybe she should lock the door. I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people are just letting themselves right. in that door all day and all night. <laughs> they have a really weird, aborted love scene in the living room. Yeah. I, I guess Peter Krause was not taking those jeans off. Okay, that stands out. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. He takes his shirt off, but he's wearing his jeans. But they're like pretty close to like getting it going. Yeah, right? she's topless for a while. Yeah, and then so. the phone rings, interrupting them. Yeah, we see Gary creeping around outside. Obviously, the jealous ex-boyfriend. He's spying through the window. He's not happy. Oh no, he's furious. <laughs> Sarah calls. Scott's gonna go to town to get beer, and then talk to uh, the sheriff yeah, he wants to go give the sheriff some shit for not helping her out or for not taking her complaints seriously yeah so he goes outside starts backing out down the driveway and oh, then he yeah. sees a masked guy running across the property oh boy any idiot with half a brain would be like well clearly this is gary there's no <laughs> doubt at it, all and maybe i should make a bigger deal out of this he kind of is cavalier about the whole thing well, he's like he stops and he's like hey you and then he's like following him he follows him all the way to the barn well he gets out of the car and he's like on foot right like just yeah. sort of I f it almost feels like a casual stroll over to the barn pokes his head in and then gets smashed in the face with a baseball bat yeah for some reason poor scott jill in her living room starts dancing this weird well that's ballet dance at a certain point i was wondering to myself is she just blasting music this whole time and can't hear Anything that's happening at the barn a mere 15 feet from the house. I think it's more than 15. Okay. <laughs> Plus, I think so, too. I but. mean, I don't think it's like they're making like a ton of noise. I okay. Mean, he, he knocked Scott out, and then they're gagged or whatever, yeah. I think. It seems like there would be some degree of commotion going on. I don't think she'd hear it. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, she's dancing to music anyway for some reason. Scott's taken into the barn, although not killed yet. Yeah. I will say now, I guess, that Scott's eventual death is pretty random and unceremonial. It just well, randomly, at some point, he just decides to slit his throat. <laughs> Peter Krause's appearance in the picture nothing. is yeah, pretty short-lived. Yeah. And you know what's funny? If I was reviewing this cast, if I had to make a pick, and I was like, yeah. somebody in this cast is going to go on to a career, I don't know that I would necessarily think it was him. I, I wouldn't have, no. I don't think he's the worst in the movie, but... I don't, well, then again, I don't really know who the best is. To me, Sarah was a little bit more charismatic. Yeah, I mean, I could see either of the girls yeah. having a better chance, but whatever. Gary, of course, again, shows up conveniently. I mean, was there ever even one second of doubt about what's going on in this movie? One second of mystery? Because I think that they are going for the idea that the audience is still in the dark as to what is happening. It seems so ridiculously right. obvious, but... I don't think that that is the intention. I think you're still supposed to be like well, unsure can... of how this is playing out, still very suspicious of Mervo. What were your thoughts watching this the first time? I, well, you can 100% tell that it's not Mervo. Did you ever get the impression, though, that maybe Mervo was working together with the killer? Oh, sure. That crossed my mind. Yeah, because they definitely make it seem it. like that a couple of times. Yeah. Gary is so embarrassing. <laughs> he even makes a comment at some point. I guess... I don't know if it's in this scene or at some point. I think Jill says something like, oh, maybe oh, yeah. he ran into Sarah. Right. And Gary's like, how does Sarah know what he looks like? And she's like, I showed her, I showed her a picture. 
It's like, well, you didn't show me a picture. He gets oh. all like, we- it's so embarrassing. I know. But like well, in a weird way, that's kind of the best parts of the script because yeah. I can believe that. I, yeah, it's true. I buy the Gary obsession. It's so embarrassing. I mean, yes, and it is like it's so gross when she's asking him to give some opinion on something, and he's like, "Well, that'll cost you a, a cup of coffee and a sisterly kiss." Yeah, I was like throwing up. <laughs> I started crying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is it ever like a good move to ask? someone you want to be romantically involved with for a sisterly kiss no it's not and yeah and there's no excuses for gary but i will say that jill is not a blameless person and all this she shouldn't say shit like that jill culpable she shouldn't say like i want your opinion because she asks yeah. his opinion on scott true i mean clear come on get a clue yeah jill you're a fucking <laughs> slamming piece of ass to be fair to gary, gary ain't gonna get it. anybody that ever looked like you again right of course he's going to be hung up on you. I know, and he should Don't just be torture like, him. You know what? Fuck Scott. <laughs> Mervo shows up, peeks in through the window. This makes Jill upset, so then yeah. Gary acts tough with his big brother. Goes outside and drags him in. Yeah, and tries to like embarrass him, I guess. Now, there was a 30-year age difference between Tiny Tim and the guy that plays Gary. Oh, wow. So their mother was particularly <laughs> yeah. fertile. Had a- Mervo is actually the younger brother. You know, they never say that either right. way, but I, you almost get the sense that they want you to believe that. I know. <laughs> I mean, he was literally like in his mid-50s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think like the guy playing Gary was probably like 20 years old or something. The overhanging issue that gets brought up by everybody, and I think Mervo casually drops it in a conversation here, is that it's like Jill's dad versus the town, oh, which yeah. includes right. Gary and Mervo's parents. There's almost an insinuation that Jill's dad, by doing his job with the bank, has brought all of this on himself and potentially is the cause for the downfall of Gary and Mervo's family, even though at this point it hasn't been revealed what really happened to them yet, so it still just seems like a a random unsolved murder. We are kind of at a a Heaven's Gate-type crossroads here where it comes to, like, a certain part of civilization ending as we know it. <laughs> Isn't that what all great films are It about? really is, yeah. Sarah shows up. Just a horrendous scene oh, yeah. between Sarah and Jill. A lot of talk about Scott's muscles. Yeah. Spoiler alert, we've seen Scott without a shirt. I mean, he's I not in bad away. shape or anything, yeah. but I mean, the, the way they call him the Incredible Hulk. He ain't point. Brock Lesnar, I'll tell you that. <laughs> the conversation just makes no sense. The acting is bad. But it's not really their fault because they're asked to just have this asinine back and forth. Oh, yeah. First, they're like, well, maybe Scott got busy and him and the sheriff hit it off. And now they're playing softball or golfing or poker. They keep going back and forth with different hypothetical (laughs) activities. Sarah's like, well, maybe I'll see him and he'll fall in love with me and we'll run away together. And Jill's like that's starting to hit her is how true that could be she's like fat lot of good you are like she says the dumbest shit it's Um, so pathetic yeah again they don't really (laughs) seem to be treating this with any degree of seriousness that scott has been missing for a while now or that her parents are just completely gone with no word it's crazy sarah leaves she goes outside it's dark though the killer with pantyhose on his face the one that we saw from the basement messing with the water earlier oh yeah he's chasing her he's got a bow and arrow they go into the barn. He's chasing her on foot. It's so clearly not Mervo that I don't really know 
this whole idea of keeping Mervo as a red herring, you would think that they would set up these kills so that it could be Mervo for a while, so that I you know. would keep that in your mind. But but at this point, you're like, well, it's definitely not. Right, and then they just keep showing this guy that's so clearly not Mervo, and you're like, okay, well, I think this guy is the killer because he's the one sneaking around doing all this shit, and he clearly is. The killer catches up with Sarah in the barn. He shoots her in the hand with an arrow. Oh, yeah. And then he strips her down to brawn panties for some reason. Well, first, I guess he just rips her shirt off. Then he hangs her upside down. Then he cuts her pants off. So she's hanging there in her underwear, and then he slits her throat. Yep. At one point, she's spinning around a little bit, and you can see the blood pack attached to her oh, back. No. <laughs> this wasn't really the, the most stringent of productions. <laughs> a lot of stuff slipped by. Kind of a sad <laughs> moment for me. Certainly my favorite character of the movie, now out of the mix. Yeah, I'm surprised that you like Sarah so much. It's not that I don't like her, but I, I'm so yeah. in on Jill. Okay, yeah. I just Sarah was a, a fun time. She was a real firecracker, you know? When I say that I've watched this movie like five times in 2019, it's because of Jill. Yeah, right. <laughs> Jill is dynamite. More solo Mervo material intercut here. A lot of reading from the Bible. It's a lot of like biblical stuff that isn't really accurate, kind of like <laughs> Sam Jackson's. Bible verses and oh, yeah. Pulp Fiction. It's right. kind of like random stuff. He's singing songs, carrying a lot of guilt. He's carrying some burden. Sure. Gary knocks on Jill's door, tells her that Mervo is missing, although that seems to be a lie because we just saw Mervo in what appears to be his house where he's I supposed to be. I feel like be. if you were Jill, you'd be like, yeah, who cares? Good. Yeah. That's Hopefully what he got hit by for. a truck. Right. <laughs> okay, so let's recap now who all is missing. We have... Mom and dad. Yep. Scott, who was supposed to disappear for like half an hour. He's been gone for hours now. Right. Now, eventually, Jill's going to realize that she can't find Sarah. Sarah as well. And according to Gary, which is inaccurate, we think Mervo could be missing too, at yeah. least from Jill's perspective. So still no motivation to get out of here and get well, that's the thing. run away. It's like if you're Jill, take a step back. What is the common thread between all these people that are missing? The last place they all were was this fucking house. <laughs> we see that Scott is still alive in the barn and yep. hanging upside down for some reason. I know. No no payoff to that either. He could have been dead this whole time. It doesn't right. really make sense. The next section of the movie is an insane blur. And it really just kind of goes into this whole trippy level where there's long stretches where it's just like heavy score. Yeah, I like the score in this movie, even though it's kind of weird and simplistic it's like all keyboard oh yeah <laughs> the guy who did the score actually went on to not like a big career but i mean he went on to do other stuff i right. think he won like some daytime okay. emmy or something i mean he's done tv shows and stuff so i mean he's been around he's not just some all right good one for him done guy yeah. see there were some people with careers involved in this picture <laughs> sure some more chloroform the pantyhose face guy, the killer, he carries Jill out to the barn. Not really clear why. Yeah. It seems like the sole purpose is to taunt Scott, who's still alive. Right. Just to like show Scott that there's this unconscious Jill. She's just wearing like a button-down shirt and underwear. Do you think the chloroform has a bigger impact at some point? I mean, I don't think you should be chloroformed like this regularly. Well, this is just the second time. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> I'm getting the, the sense that it's going to be a recurring pattern. Yeah, I don't know if he does it a third time or not. It seems like he does, but I don't know. I think she just is continuously groggy from this point, even yep. when she wakes back up. So it's unclear why he brought her out there, but 
there's police sirens and that caused the pantyhose guy to hurry up and bring Jill back to the house. So the sheriff pulls up to the house just as the pantyhose killer shuts the door with Jill and goes back inside. So the sheriff gets out. There's no answer at the house. So the sheriff leaves unclear why he came or was driving with the lights and sirens on. Yeah, I know if it was some big emergency. Well, maybe he was out drinking and he got an idea and then, like, the next day he came to and just, like, never remembered what the hell he was doing. Yeah. It's never really explained why he would come back. <laughs> he he was, w- Nobody called him and... He was upset because no one could find Sarah. Yeah, possibly Sarah's been reported missing, but they never mentioned that or explained it. Yeah, and by the way, no sense of urgency about following up on this? No. Okay. Jill wakes up while at the same time Scott's throat is being slit out in the barn. So Scott was kept alive and now just killed unceremoniously for no reason. Still in a haze, Jill opens the refrigerator only to have a bucket of blood spill out of it onto her, causing her to fall down and scream and kind of flop around in this blood. Yeah, this is just in the fridge, right? Yeah, no explanation as to what is happening yeah, here. Yeah, I know. If you actually go back and like rewatch the scene and break it down, clearly they had something attached to the bucket to make it just spring out. Okay, Like yeah. a string. And What's the explanation in the movie? No, there's none. The way that it flies out of the refrigerator, it looks like somebody would have had to have like pushed it out yeah. or like pulled it out. So, I mean, yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. This is a lot of blood, by the way. I mean... I know he's out there slitting throats, but... Yeah, I mean, I guess the implication is that it could be human blood. Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, on the other side of things, like we are in farmland, dead animals are abound, so... Sure. That is a possibility as well. But yeah, so she slips, she falls, she's covered in blood. Now what? Gary conveniently comes sliding in to comfort her. So, for those of us who are woke, this next series of events does not play very well. Yeah, this sets off an insanely bizarre sequence. This is where it's a lot of score, and it goes on for a long time. It's kind of Gary being with an unconscious version of Jill for, like, yeah, just, like, what feels like an endless amount of time. First, they're, like, sitting in the bathtub while the shower's coming down on them. Gary is still clothed at this point, but he's, like, removing her clothing. It seems like that she's still in a haze from the chloroform. Because, yes, obviously she had a shock from the blood but i mean she seems completely out of it i know yeah after he like washes her off and she's nude he then carries her completely nude body and lays it on the couch in the living room and yeah there's some real serial killer moments here things get very dark from here yeah i mean he's like kissing her boobs and stuff yeah. and then he removes all of his clothing <laughs> i know and gets on top it's of her it's a sad sad scene she finally wakes up with a completely naked Gary on top of her. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, Does th- Gary not get the reaction he was hoping for here? <laughs> I guess the only way I could say this is unclear how far he's gotten with yeah. this thing that he's doing. <laughs> you know, if you yeah. know what I mean. I think I do, yeah. I'm not really sure what all has happened okay. or what they're implying has yeah. happened here. But her reaction is another patented Jill undersell. For sure. Where she's just kind of like, Gary, Gary, don't make me on. hate you. I know. Instead She's of almost just like, like apologizing. I know. She should be like completely <laughs> losing it on him and being like, what is this shit? You crazy motherfucker. Yeah. Like, you fucking asshole. I'm never talking to you again. I'm instead, calling the police. Yeah. She's just like, oh, Gary. Yeah. Gary, don't do this. Yeah. But I mean, once she wakes up and rejects him, he gets oh, off of her yeah. and then he goes off crying. Yeah. 
I, I real don't think pathetic. this went the way that he thought it was going to. Yeah. He seems like he's completely off in another place. Oh, yeah. Mervo comes over without the makeup this time. Right. And tells Jill that he has to show her something. Yeah, do you think that it would be a wise idea to follow Mervo somewhere? No, and she is afraid. I'll give her some credit there. She finally is like a little put off. Right. But ultimately she Enough does of come this along. Hasn't added up <laughs> that she's starting to think that something is off here. But yeah, she's like, this, you know what, I'm still going to go, though. This whole next part was confusing to me because I was never really clear on where they were going. But I guess the only explanation is that they go to Mervo and Gary's childhood home, which I guess is close to her house. Yeah, that's and, right. And he shows her a suicide This is a weird scene. Note, which reveals the truth about Gary and Mervo's parents, which is that faced with the proposition of losing their farm they chose to end their lives instead well i think it was was even so that the dad was like i'm gonna kill myself and the the mom was like and i wouldn't be able to live without him so i would have to do it too yes mervo explains that gary made it look like a murder and forced him to lie about it under the threat of being put into a home oh wow jill also finds the topless polaroids of her from her bed yeah, so this does pay off. It does it? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that was it. That's the payoff. She just finds them. <laughs> Although, that's the thing. Wouldn't you be 100% convinced now that it's Mervo? If you're her from her perspective? Although, I guess she doesn't know She doesn't know anything I guess because of what she does in a few minutes. Right. Gary catches them in this room. There's a struggle now between Mervo and Gary. They're fighting. Jill reluctantly shoots Mervo with a handgun that's just lying around when Mervo brandishes some scissors that it looks like he's going to use on Gary. Yeah. So she shoots Mervo. Mervo's down and out. Right. And then Gary reveals his whole dream for him and Jill. Oh, no. This is when he starts going Gary, on about what he's been give doing. Give it up. Yeah. And why he's framed everything a certain way, which was, I guess... Once his parents committed suicide and his brother lost his mind and they lost the farm and she was off at school, he felt so alone in the world and helpless that he was going to take the opportunity of her coming back from school to try to make her feel the same way sure, yeah. so that she would need him as much as he needs her. Right. Pretty ridiculous plan. Yeah, I- I'm not buying it. I'm not seeing how this would work out for Gary, and it doesn't. Jill, an idiot, seems surprised. Yeah. Meanwhile, everyone who's watching the movie has figured this out an hour and a half ago, and has just been waiting (laughs) for this to resolve itself. And they did kind of broadcast it for us. (laughs) She runs back to her house and tries to call the police. The phone is dead. For some unknown reason, Gary puts the pantyhose back over his face. I feel like this final chase sequence is a little on the long side. Yeah. Well, he puts the pantyhose back over his face and that nondescript khaki-colored jacket yes. on before showing up for the final chase. Why? I don't know. Who is he trying to All fool All the cards this point? are on the table. <laughs> God, that's so dumb. Jill retreats to the barn where she finds her parents, Scott and Sarah, all dead. Gary's talking more about this isolation plan. She's pretty good at trying to placate him and say what she thinks he wants to hear to buy herself time right she's like we could run away together we could blame it all on mervo they already know he's crazy (laughs) they'll think we're dead too just saying whatever although she does a good job of that and then 
panics and then tries to run away too quick. Yeah. Like she doesn't let it play out enough to to really buy herself. A, she had a, him on the hook, but he got away. He grabs her. She picks up this horrible, rusty, like, Sith thing. I don't even know what it is. Sith? Like, as in a villain from like Star a, Wars? What, how do you pronounce it? Like the Grim Reapers thing. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't I know. That's like not even what it is. Scythe, scythe or something? I don't but know. That's not even... Yeah, right. that could be it, but it's, that's not actually even what it is. It's just like a a sharp metal okay. thing, and he yeah. she drives it through his arm. Right. It's so fucking brutal, <laughs> yeah. and it keeps him down for a minute, but then Gary really seems to shake it off pretty quick. I mean, yeah. it looks like it would go through the bone. Well, I feel like Gary's got to be like on meth or something. That's the only explanation. I mean, this looks yeah. like it would be insane. Bath salts, maybe. <laughs> there's some drug at play here. So, yeah, there's an extended chase. They go through the woods. Then they end up in some weird cellar-looking place with a dead pig suspended in the air. I don't even oh, know yeah. where they are at this point. I know. Because it seems like this they're was... under a house. Right. And then all of a sudden there's a pig hanging way up on a ceiling. I didn't get this sort of departure from <laughs> our normal setting, like why we... I don't know. Take this little detour here. Gary knocks her out after catching her and wrestling around. I know. Gary, just countless opportunities to just kill her. I know that's not his original goal, but I feel like at this point, what is he trying to do? What is he still prolonging here? He brings her back to the barn tied up. He's about to kill her when at the last second, there's a savior. Merv, awkwardly holding a shotgun in a way that makes no sense. Oh, yeah. Shoots Gary. In what looks to be the shoulder. Yeah, right. Freeze Jill. They leave together. The movie ends with Gary opening his eyes. Unsurprisingly, because like I said, I know. it's clearly in and the they, shoulder. Well, they focus in on it for so long, too. Like, they just do this long shot at the end just of yeah. Gary, and then it's just like the dun, like eyes open. Yeah, not and even though it's just like super suspenseful. Yeah, it did not look like a lethal shot. But, of course, you know, we have our unsuspected hero, Merv. Merv coming back into yep. play. Not pissed that Jill shot him right. not that long ago. The best thing is, after, shortly after this, you know Jill was would be like, well, you know, thanks and all, but I think we need to like stay far away from each other. Oh, yeah. You I, know? Mean, I don't really see any reason to keep hanging around with Merv. No, He's no. Completely it's a dangerous insane. game. <laughs> so, yeah, that'll do it for Blood Harvest. I yeah. think it was something to try, a little low-budget horror. It was fun. I will say, like, you handed me the DVD. I had never seen it. All I'm going off of is title going into it. So it's like I was picturing all sorts of things. So, you know, I was pretty pleasantly surprised with how it started off. I think, you know, at a certain point, the movie kind of runs out of steam. But yeah, it had a few interesting ideas and a few cool artistic shots. I liked a few of the people in it. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, there wasn't enough there. (laughs) They needed to rethink some of this stuff because there were a lot of scenes that when you look back at them you're like well yeah that clearly was just to fill out the movie for, to make it be a little longer <laughs> right and then they made the end sequence as long as they possibly could it's true that last whole like gary chasing after her like to go in for the final kill it seems like it goes on for like 20 minutes yeah what are you doing what what vincent stopped making picks well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Do you have any recommendations for this week? Can I do the trailer for The Lighthouse as a recommendation? Yeah, I guess. Is I mean, by the time that we release this, <laughs> yeah. it might we might have already seen it. Okay. <laughs> or be well, 
How about um, not? Maybe not, but we'll be close to. Have how about this then? It. In honor of the lighthouse coming out, which I'm excited for, that director's last movie, The Witch, which I do believe is streaming right now. Sure. Okay. Okay. The Witch. A Brian Bell birthday dinner movie. Yeah, that might. That was probably that was the last, last Pittsburgh Hands yeah. slash Pittsburgh Mills trip. There'll never be another one. Right. So it always has a a place in my heart for that. Certainly. I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, another one that I, I found it to be pretty disturbing. I, I mean, I know it certainly has its detractors, but... Yeah, uh, I like The Witch a lot. Yeah, so, and, and I'm pretty sure it's streaming right now. I don't know which service, but we'll we'll confirm that and stick it on the, the app. Yeah, it was on Netflix for a while. I don't know if it still is. And my recommendation ties in with Blood Harvest just a little bit. It's on the streaming app Shudder, which you can get on like Roku and all that shit. It's called The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. Now, ah, yes. Joe Bob is a guy who has been in the movie hosting business since the late 80s on the movie channel, Showtime, TNT with Monster Vision, AMC, different variations of the same idea. He hosts a couple of movies. They did a huge marathon last summer okay which kicked it off and then they did a thanksgiving special then a christmas special and then this year they did about 8 weeks of new episodes all right every friday night on shutter where he hosted two movies in an odd way he's kind of like the tiny tim of knowing about drive-in movies grindhouse movies horror movies that right. kind of stuff Is we went there... to go see him this past summer yeah had a time, I would say. He was doing a show called How Rednecks Saved Hollywood, so it wasn't horror-related necessarily, like The Last Drive-In is, because The Last Drive-In is on Shudder, which yeah. is a horror streaming service. But The Last Drive-In is great, and I think the last episode of the season was a double feature of Blood Harvest and Hello, Mary Lou, oh, okay. Prom Night 2. Gotcha. And I had already seen Blood Harvest before seeing that episode, but it was fun he had a couple of Tiny Tim-related people on as guests. Basically, for those of you who have never seen it, when it was on regular television like TNT, he would come in when it would go to commercial breaks and when it would come back from commercial breaks and talk in addition to the movie. Uh, so yep. if a movie was like an hour and a half, then it might be on for like two hours and like or like two and a half hours or something, and he would come like have a half hour's worth of material spliced into the commercial breaks. Now, on Shudder, they don't have commercials, so it just interrupts it periodically with him coming in and talking. Gotcha. It's a fun way to watch a movie because he just knows so much about it. I think a big part of it is nostalgia. I think a lot of the audience for him now are people that were familiar with his work before. Hey, I enjoyed the live show we went to. Yeah, if you're interested in movies and interested in hearing about different stuff that went on with the making of the movie and different factoids and his general takes on things then yeah i mean it's it's a lot of fun they do a lot of weird movies and he'll give like his rating system where he'll be like this movie has six dead bodies 14 breasts (laughs) (laughs) and then like a whole bunch of like foo like this movie i'm trying to remember what he said like chloroform foo (laughs) (laughs) auction foo or whatever just like different things that happen I don't know. It's just kind of his Do gimmick. Do you uh, foresee an opportunity for us to slide into a role hosting a show like this? I wish. Yeah. yeah. I think that's where this is all headed. It's maybe. kind of fallen out of favor. Yeah. I don't think Elvira has done anything like that in a while. No. 
Joe Bob's able to come back on Shudder, but yeah, I don't really see that existing. They used to have different variations. It wasn't always horror related. Remember Dinner yeah. in a Movie? I do, yeah, actually. That's just, yeah, I mean, the that's a very similar right. idea. Things like that. I don't know. The Last Drive-In's cool. If you can get like a free trial of Shudder, you should check it out. The only problem is, just like any other streaming service, they don't get to keep the rights for all the movies forever. So yeah, sometimes yeah. like certain episodes disappear because okay. they no longer have the right to stream those movies, whatever. You know, you'll run into complications like that. But for the most part, the episodes remain intact, even from the first marathon from last summer and then the Thanksgiving thing and then the, the Christmas one where they did Phantasm 1, 3, 4, and 5, something like yeah, that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> one of the great film series. <laughs> I like Phantasm. Me too. All right. Yeah, we did it on this show. That's right. Way back when. Yeah. All right. So that'll do it for Blood Harvest. We have, I would say, at least three more episodes left of The Greatest October. So get ready. Okay. We're really ramping up. We're making our way to Halloween. That's true. Don't waste it. Don't no. waste it. Because every year after Halloween, you, people get kind of depressed now. And they're like, yeah, oh, man, on. I still want to watch horror movies. Yeah, which, yeah. of course, you know, I, I end up doing anyway. Enjoy these eps. Drink it in. Really embrace it. Check out the movies we're doing on the show, plus your own favorite horror movies. This is the time of year to watch them. It's a really fun time. Yeah, tweet the show about what you're watching. Yeah, we'd love to hear that too. And we will see you next time.
Steelers gonna play a playoff game. So get out your towel, your terrible, terrible towel. This time will never ever be the same. Please tell your ma and do tell your pa to put on their TV in Arkansas. They'll see them towels a flying, they'll break down and start a crying, cause they're missing fun that almost breaks the law. The news I'll give him a start, he'll go crazy and fall apart and buy every yellow towel at the Kmart. You can tell your brother Cliff if he ain't drunk himself still. Might just as well incorporate Louise. Tell her grab a towel, please. Mighty handy, she got a sneeze, but get her roaring liver to But don't tell your heart. Your achy-breaky heart, the towel's coming back with miracles. You can't trust your heart, your achy-breaky heart. He'd get riled up and pass a little gas. Just get out a towel, and just any old towel, so long as it's yellow or gold or black or anything. Don't tell your heart, your achy-breaky heart, the towel and steamer's gonna beat him half to death. Other Moe's coat here for your listening and dancing pleasure. I've been an actor almost 50 years. Uh, there was a point in my career when I stopped getting work and uh, I was getting lousy work and I had three, four kids two ex-wives, I was trying to get the kids through college, I began to worry that this was not gonna happen for me, uh, I was gonna have to think of some other way to make a living. The thing happened right here at this table. Over there walks in Quentin Tarantino. Now, I had read for him about five years prior for uh, Reservoir Dogs, and I, boy, I thought I killed that, uh, that, uh, that audition. I didn't get the part. Five or so years later, maybe six, whatever it is, he walks in here, he's walking into the restaurant. I yell at him, come on over. He comes over, he sits down, he starts BSing with uh, me and Frank. Along the way, I said, well, what, are you, uh, what, are you, what are you doing? He said, I'm adapting uh, an Elmore Leonard screenplay called Rum Punch. He said, why don't you read it? I did read it. Six months or so later, I walk in as every morning I do, I came out out that door, Quentin Tarantino. He's sitting in my seat. And before I can even get to the table, he lifts up a script, he hands it to me, and he says, read this, see if you like it. No chasing, no nothing. This guy gave me a gift, the size of which cannot be exaggerated. And, uh, and that put the career back into uh, motion. Uh, had that not happened, uh, you know, I was ready to, uh, to jump at a moment's notice. Uh, you gotta be ready and you gotta have a good attitude. And at that point I had uh, well understood and, uh, and uh, internalized that three-step program. Accept all things, that gives you good attitude. Deliver excellence right now, that gives you the best shot at the best future you've got coming. And the reward of self-respect and satisfaction and never quit. You can win it in the late innings if you don't quit. And by then, I was ready. And that script was? 
Jackie Brown. I'm Bob Forster, and that was my best story ever.